Hello, thank you for tuning in to the Outstanding Ohioans show. Over the next couple episodes, we're going to take a break from reviewing the skill tips from Daniel Coyle's The Little Book of Talent. And in episode 74, we are going to talk to Coach Mike Deegan, head baseball coach of Denison University. It's a great conversation. I believe you're really going to enjoy it. Thank you. Hello, thank you for tuning in to the Outstanding Ohioans show. Today, I've got the pleasure of talking with Mike Deegan, who is the head baseball coach at Denison University and the author of the great book, Let It Rip, Life Lessons Learned Through Sports. Coach Deegan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I know we were just joking about we have a lot more time on our hands in some ways, but in some <laughs> ways, we're, we're being directed differently, so... I really appreciate the time today. For the this audience, a little bit you? different. Uh, this would be a little bit different normally, right? April, April sixth would be usually the busy time of year for me. But yeah, right. forced to slow down a little bit now. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about that. Can you give a brief background on on what you do, Coach? Yeah, um, I'm now the the head baseball coach at Denison University. Uh, was in my seventh season there as the as the head coach. Uh, prior to that, I was the the assistant coach at Marietta College um, in southeastern Ohio. I was there for nine years, um, had a lot of success at that time, and I was able to to, to move on to this head coaching role. Um, prior to that, I I actually went to school at Marietta, um, but I grew up in as a non-Ohioan. I grew up in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, just south of a little town called Washington, PA, and uh, went to Marietta College out of high school. And now I've lived in, in Ohio uh, more than I have in Pennsylvania. Uh, but I grew up in, in Washington from till I was 18. And, and uh, now I'm in Granville, Ohio uh, at Denison University. I don't know how much our audience knows about the dynasty of Marietta College in baseball. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit yeah I mean it's if it's not the the, the best division three program um, historically in the country I, I it has to be one of one of two or three um, legendary coach Don Shally um, was the was the person who really got the, that program going uh, he was a head coach there for 40 years um, I played for as an assistant coach getting Brian Brewer he was there for two years when I was a player as an assistant, and then he took over the head coaching job now and has been there since I believe it was 2004 was his first year. So uh, unbelievable dynasty. I think you're six national championships total now. Um, I think seven or eight runner-ups, uh, you know, conference, regional champions, uh, small school division three, but I think there's four or five now. Guys who played in the big leagues, lots of pros, lots of really successful people went out of there. But, yeah, it was a little hotbed for, uh, for talent and for uh, a rich, rich baseball culture and history. Uh, you know, kind of jumping ahead here a little bit. I told you, <laughs> I told you we'd skip around. Uh, sure. In, in your book, you, you talk about how important standards are and expectations. What did you learn from that Marietta experience that you've transferred to your program at Denison? Yeah, I mean, Coach Shally was, um, you know, way ahead of the curve with a lot of, with a lot of things. Uh, but I think one of the things we, we really do take away from that program is that there was an expectation of excellence in just about everything you did. And um, obviously it manifested itself in championships and wins and losses. But I, I think it was, it was more than that. It was the way you took the field. It was the way you practiced. It was the way you wear your uniform. I mean, I – I remember him chasing guys out of the dugout for not having their stirrups, showing four fingers uh, of blue. That was the the rule. But you had to have a certain haircut. You had to wear the uniform a certain way. And um, but yeah, there was just a way that we approached baseball and and life in general uh, that you were expected to hold to hold the line and and, and uphold that standard that um, those people before you kind of brought to fruition. So uh, I think all that can be applied to whether where I'm coaching now or, or any, anything that you do is that there is a right and a way, right and a wrong way of doing things. And, and uh, it's best to, to make sure you're, you're on the right side of things um, and, and, and pursuing that excellence. That's great. Uh, yeah. I, judging from just, you know, the, the brief time I've talked to you and your book, I, I don't think you dwell on negatives too much. And I don't want to dwell on the negatives of what's going on with the coronavirus right now. Uh, 
obviously you're you're missing baseball season which i sure that's that, that's an awful feeling especially for your seniors that are in the program i imagine uh what have been some of the positives you've been able to pull from this? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that question. I mean, first of all, it's a very, very tough time. And, and um, you know, I like to think that I'm an optimistic person, but I'm, I'm also a realistic person. And, um, you know, understanding that right now, um, from sickness to um, our brave, you know, people on the front lines, there are doctors and nurses um, that are in harm's way every day. Um, to people that are small business owners, um, you know, there's going to be a, there's going to be a, a, some job issues and an economic issues that come from all this. So um, this has been a, this has been a tough time. Now, for myself, um, you know, I think this has forced me to pause a little bit. Um, this is usually the, the the rat race time of the year for us, where you know we're trying to squeeze in a lot of games in a really short period of time, and and your and your life kind of revolves around. Um, baseball and, and, and games. And, um, this forced you to, to kind of pause and really reflect on what's important in life. I think that's probably the one thing that many people are kind of, um, sharing in common right now that you realize the, the, the neighborhood that you're in or, um, how much money you make or, um, how many activities your kids are involved with. None of that really matters now. It's just, it's really just, just taking that time and pausing and, and being present with your family is something that, you know, I struggle with. And I think this, this time has forced me to do, and I think it's forced many of us to do. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I appreciate you pulling the positives from that and sharing that with us. Cause that, that's, that's a tough thing. Uh, I, I don't know if you know the, answer to this question because obviously there's no there, there there's no ending that's been determined yet in terms of when we kind of reopen things and, and sure. get back to whatever normal is going to look like uh, mm-hmm. what what have you heard that NCAA baseball is gonna talk about and consider I've heard things such as maybe have a fall season for for seniors or maybe a summer season and then maybe shorten push back the time freshmen are eligible what what are some things you're hearing uh i think the, the main thing is that uh, um the majority the they'll, they'll get a year back every every player this past year gets gets a year year of eligibility back and i don't know if it's across the board like i don't know if that goes all in division one i'm pretty sure it does but uh definitely the division three level that everyone is going to receive another year of eligibility and um and and so they'll have another year to play. It's just a matter of where. There's all there's all kinds of logistical issues there. Um, Division one level, a lot of it's scholarship based and economics. Um, for us at our level, we don't have a graduate program. So um, for seniors, what are they going to do? Do they do they try to find another place to play? Do they enter the job force? Do they find a way to come back to Denison? So there's all these things that are just really up in the air. Uh, but to my knowledge, the 20 seasons canceled. Um, you know, no baseball this summer, no, in the fall, and then we'll resume the twenty the twenty one season. The big thing that's up in the air right now is the summer collegiate leagues. Uh, I know the Valley League, uh, historically a, a very good league, and we had three players that were going there this summer. Um, it's now canceled, and I think everyone's kind of pausing to wait to see what the MLB does and, and minor league baseball. But as far as NCAA, yeah, we're we're um, we're, we're shut down and and uh, with the hopes of resuming in twenty one. How did, besides what's happening with your current players, how does this change your recruiting in terms of seeing people play in the summer and developing those relationships? Sure. I mean, I think we're all being challenged to, to look at new ways to do things. Um, so for us right now, like we just finished up, we did half hour um, Google meets uh, meetings with our, with our current roster. Uh, the last two weeks. So we just, just similar to, you know, this year we said, we set a call, you know, we had a discussion. Um, so that was our first priority is, is taking care of our current roster. And then we moved on to our 2020 class. So the, the people who are enrolling this fall, um, we just, we're starting doing, uh, doing Google meet meetings in small groups with them. We had our first one today at noon, um, but we were just doing some group meetings there to stay connected 
um, answer any questions, you know, that we can, like we were saying, there's just so much up in the air, but just, just connect and try to be there and be present with them. And then we'll turn our attention to 21s. Now it's going to be tough that, like you said, the evaluation process will be a little bit different. Um, but there's a, where there's a will, there's a way first that, you know, we've seen, we've seen a decent amount of 21s over the last couple of summers. Um, you know, video is very powerful. Um, there's ways to connect and, that's the one thing that we'll see is that we'll be forced to evolve in, in that fashion, but it has been impacted. Um, I think it's still at, at a point where we're, we're more concerned with other things right now, whether that's, you know, whether that's right or wrong. I mean, other, other coaches may have a different philosophy, but for us it's been, okay, let's take care of our present roster. Let's take care of our incoming guys. And then we'll shift our attention here to figuring out how we're going to handle the 21s um, in the next month. Interesting. It's there's so many unknowns. It's it's going to be quite the process to play out. Uh, I, I did want to ask you what if you had to sum up your Denison University and your baseball program in two to four sentences. What, what's your pitch when you when you meet someone for the first time? Um. So I I, I guess. If, I, you know, I'll answer your question in two ways. I think one, you said, sum up our baseball program first. And I'll say our, our baseball program is built off a of continuous improvement. And so if I had to sum up our program in, in that regard, I'd say it's just basically two words. I could say continuous improvement. Um, as far as our pitch, um, our pitch is we have no pitch. Um, we try to just be as open and transparent as we can in the recruiting process. Um, we have taken the philosophy that, you know, we, we want to compete. Uh, for a, on, on the national level at a, at a nationally uh, recognized academic institution. So it's, it's, you know, it's a rigorous academic place, but we want to be great at baseball. So we explain our story. We explain that's going to be tough. And then what we basically say, Ron, is come watch us. Come watch us practice. Come watch us train. Come watch us play. And, you know, we, we want to open up our guys, like just go meet our players and let's see if this is a fit. And we've um, – we really feel like we attract the right student athletes and families when we're, when we're open and vulnerable and transparent, we attract the people that, that, um, that they know what they're signing up for. Uh, an, an, not an easy experience, but hopefully a very rewarding experience in the end. That's true. That's, that's, that's quite the pitch. And, and that's, that, that was reflected in your book, which I want to get to in a little bit. Uh, I did want to ask, I had this question on my list anyway, and then it, it just kind of reemphasized. I, I read the book Swing Kings that just came out this weekend by Jared Diamond. And it was, yeah, I have, I've heard of that. Yes. Yeah. It, and it was just, it was a great book. I couldn't put it down. And for the purposes of purposes of this conversation, and it, it's, it's certainly not just anything that came from this book, but. I was curious in your program because I, I've got a cousin who's a sophomore at Youngstown State playing college baseball. He's a transfer, so he's sitting out this year. And But knowing his experience and, and, and then reading this book and others, uh, baseball is no different than other sports from the standpoint. Kids are getting a lot more private instruction than ever before. And one of the things that, that this book talked about was there's a lot of so-called outside batting instructors that were kind of out the main out of the mainstream of professional baseball mm -hmm. that were working with with the baseball players. I was curious in your program, how do you embrace and work with the private coaches, the travel coaches? Because it's not just the high school coaches that you've got to interact with and develop relationships with. How, how do you? how do you work with that dynamic? And then also how do you balance what athletes have learned from a private instruction standpoint or previous instruction standpoint versus what your coaching staff is telling them once they come play for you? Yeah, I think, I think that's probably been the biggest shift from when I played or first started coaching to now. Um, you know, when I played, I would say, I don't know, um, maybe 5% of guys had, some kind of individual instruction prior to to playing college baseball. I mean, almost every everybody I knew, you know, you had your high school coach, you had your summer coach, and then you went on to college, and college is kind of where you learned 
a lot of the nuance of the game. Well, now I think it's really pivoted where I would say we maybe have 5% who don't have a hitting coach or a pitching coach or a strength and conditioning coach. So it's really evolved in that fact. Um, now, how do we – we just embrace it. I, I think, one, it's, it's having the humility to know that, you know, you don't have all the answers. You don't know exactly um, – you know, you, it's not um, an ego battle where you're trying to force your methodology of hitting or pitching on someone. That's not what we try to do. Um, it has led to a much more collaborative experience where um, the first meetings now, the first – our fall, really, we don't, uh, we don't discuss mechanics or – uh, give suggestions on swings or anything. We really just observe. Um, we question and we listen to see where uh, that student athlete is coming from. Because um, what my charge has been just to our staff, and we think about this, it's okay. You know, this young man that we're working with, they may have had this instructor for the last ten years or eight years or whatever it may be. Then if we go in there and, and, and the first time we meet them, we're trying to change things around, like that's not going to be a very good relationship. So, um, yeah, you just try to collaborate. I don't know, necessarily say I, I, I collaborate with the actual instructor. I guess that would that could happen. That feels like that would just be a lot of – there would be a lot of moving parts there. Uh, for us, it's just trying to get to know the, the, our player, their learning background, who they've learned from why they do things a certain way. And then we look for our opportunities to try to enhance what they do and make them better. But it is probably the biggest shift uh, that I've seen is, is these, is the amount of knowledge they come in to us with or um, in the, in their individual mechanical, especially. Now, my last thing I'll say with that is we think the biggest competitive advantage is so kids now know much more about their, their individual how their body works maybe if you want to if you want to use it like that but the actual playing of the game is where the gap is now the actual uh, nuts and bolts of, of of inning score awareness those types of things seem like they've taken a, a bit of a back seat because most of the time has gone to those uh, individual private lessons type stuff so um, yeah it's just a, it's just a change and and so you have to just like any any good business or like any good teacher you have to just move and shake with the ebbs and flows of, of the way um, the game is moving. I find that an, an amazing statement from the standpoint, and I'll, I'll again go back to my cousin as an example. You talked about game awareness, and, and that's a gap that you're seeing. I know he was playing 60 to 90 games every spring, mm -hmm. summer, and fall, you know, beyond this sure. school team season. That, that's really interesting that you're seeing that gap in, in game and situational awareness. Yeah. I, I think, I think what you're, yeah, I think what you see now a lot is either games being played. So like the, the structure now would be, you know, they, they play on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday at some turn at a tournament. And then that team won't reconvene for a practice. They don't do that typically because some of the travel programs are from all over, you know, they're spread out. Then you just reconvene back on Thursday, but um, they will have some, maybe some lessons involved prior. So um, like actually what happens in the game isn't discussed as much. And this is, that's, that's a blanket statement because there are people that do it incredibly well. I'm not, I'm not saying like this is a, but we, I would say in general, I would say that um, yeah, the games now they're not, you know, like the, the old days of like a Legion season where you had a Legion coach that, you know, you play the game, you practice, you want to – like those are really kind of gone out of the window. That, that doesn't – that model is not really here anymore. So you're playing a lot of games, but there's not much practice in between on the, the skills of team – the team concept of baseball. I would say that's probably what's, what's missing. Yeah, I, I could see that. Even my, my two boys who are nine and seven, uh, once, once their baseball seasons get going, it's pretty much – games and that's it um so that's that, that's something that i i now i understand what you're saying from the feedback perspective mm -hmm. you're not you're not having a chance to kind of review the games and and talk sure. about situations as much so yeah, right. that makes sense uh, how do we get that back <laughs> I, I mean everything is so condensed into all, all these time frames of of games and competition uh, I've seen that in youth basketball. I've seen it in baseball. 
I think it's like anything else, you know, there's, there's a, you know, there's the continuum, you know, and, and probably, like I said, my, my analogy of myself as a college player where um, I said, what, 5% of people had uh, some kind of individual hitting instruction that that was way too low. Like we, you had a bunch of guys that, that were pretty, that were good athletes that um, knew how to compete, but didn't necessarily know how, you know, how to best, how to best properly hit a baseball or, or throw or whatever. There was, there were deficiencies there. So the market adjusted and, and the game of baseball try as, as it does, it evolved by the influx of, of teaching the mechanics and things like that. I think that's what happened. And, and now I think probably the, the pendulum has swung um, maybe a little bit too far to that side and the game will recalibrate itself again, you know? So I think, I think professional baseball is a good place to look, you know, you see um, for a long time, professional baseball would just be, um, for the constructors would be just be former players, and now you had an influx of outside people who had different ideas. But I think the game now is kind of recalibrating back to okay, let's. There's still a lot of value. There's a ton of value to someone who coached and played at that professional level. So you're seeing more uh, people like that getting hired now. So the the game will recalibrate. I think as long as you keep it player centered, where we're focusing on okay, how do we get the kids or the player better eventually a model will take place, but I can't sit here and say how it'll get better, but I think there's enough, there's enough of a groundswell right now in youth sports that people are saying, Hey, we're not teaching the game enough that in small pockets throughout the country it's being done. And eventually that'll catch on and grow. But I would say in the next five years, you're going to see more of an emphasis on at the youth level of just how to play, how to play the game. Mm-hmm. Um you know, another related question to that, uh, something I've heard, I, I coach basketball for years, so that's that's been more of my focus. Uh, it, with kids playing as many games as they do now, has there been a, has there been a loss of the importance of winning and losing because there's this mentality, well, I've got a tournament later this week or next weekend, uh, so maybe winning and losing is not as important as in the past? Absolutely. I, 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 absolutely. I think it's a, I think that's definitely, definitely different. It was different playing for your, your youth, uh, for your le- local Legion team or for your city or for your, you know, your school and competing hard for them. It's definitely a different environment now. It's, it's completely shaped. And I think the more, um, once again, when, when we get our guys on campus, that, that's what we try to focus on is, is the competition piece. When I played, it was probably too high on the competition piece and not enough on the instruction piece. So, uh, without a doubt, there's there's winning and losing uh, probably doesn't hold the same weight as it did, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And it may be in some ways for the good, but in some ways, um, I think getting kids to understand that competition isn't a bad thing. Like even losing is not a bad thing. Like it's not, you know, you're, you're learning in that process, but there, the idea is, can you put it on the line? Can you go out there? Can you compete as hard as you can? And when that game's over, you shake hands and, and then you, you recalibrate and you figure out a way to, to, to improve. But competition isn't, isn't a, isn't a bad thing. It's, 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 a, it's actually very healthy if done correctly. Uh, shifting gears to the book. Uh, you kind of touched on this, and if you could do the, do the same for the audience. Uh, you didn't, I didn't get the sense that you just sat down one day and decided to write a book. You had a process. You were doing some writing before that. Uh, can you kind of talk about what your process started with? What did you focus on specifically topic-wise with your writing process, and how did it lead to your book? So, yeah, I think it starts – everything for me revolves around that newsletter um, where I always had a lot of thoughts and and um, and just ideas, and my life, for the better or, wor- or worse, has always kind of revolved around sports. And so I'd have, have all these thoughts, and I'd share things, and, and my wife said, you ought to start writing. That's where, that's where it, it, it originated from. Just started writing, and then it became having the courage to hit send and put it out there. And I, that was probably the best decision I've ever made is it send. Um, I always say that I don't, I don't write to, to, to teach. I write more for clarity for myself. So I'll write. Um, it, it clears, it clears up an area I've been wrestling with. It helps clear it up in my, to start. 
and then the audience, people who read or um, I'm connected with, will then give me a lot of feedback and, and let me rework kind of what I wrote. So um, that's where it started for me. And then I, I had enough. Um, I had a lot of content over the years that it, it just made sense to put it into a book format. And um, you know how I structured it in the book is just is just how it kind of made sense in my mind. Um, and just some of the very key things to me along this path that sports have taught me. Um, but yeah, everything really evolved for me around the life lessons I've learned through sports. And, and I think I'll just finish by saying it's, it's, um, I have a lot of friends who are in business. I have a lot of friends in, in many different areas. And I feel like it's a similar format and theme, regardless of what industry you're in. Um, this process of sports can be very impactful for a lot of different people. There, I, to to break down your book and ask you all the questions I want to, it would take hours. Uh, but what I tried to do, sure, Mike, was I, I tried to pull out some things again, kind of relevant to the situation we're in as a society right now. I, I tried to pull out some things I thought that more helpful is not the right phrase, but seemed appropriate to where we're at right now. Um, so if it's okay with you, I wanted to ask you just just some of the premises uh, throughout your book. And if you could go into a little more detail, what you meant sure. by that. Uh, first one I wrote down was playing to your strengths. And I wanted you to talk about that, but then you also had another discussion with, um, and I think it's my wording, intangibles. What, what are, how do you balance playing to your strengths uh, but also developing intangibles that are kind of non-negotiables regardless of what you're doing. Yeah. I, th I think as far as playing to your strengths, I think, I think there's, there's a self-awareness um, component to that, which I think is really valuable. Um, you know, I think the, the, the players that I've noticed over the years are the ones that have a really good sense of who they are. Um, they have, they know what they do well, they know what areas they need to improve upon and they lean into those things that they do really, really well. So I think that's kind of the, the, the first thing is that you have to have an understanding of who you are. Um, the intangibles are just things that, you know, kind of going for a previous conversation, I think that things that are very, very underrated now. So in, in the game that I'm most close with, the most intimate with is baseball, you know, the ability to run bases, the ability to, to, to sacrifice and, and, and get a bunt down in a proper, in the proper time, um, game awareness, like all those things, um, aren't as, aren't as present as they used to be. So those intangibles can really stick out, but, and I think that that holds true in, in the workplace as well. You know, it, it's not just being the person who, um, has the thousand pound brain. It's, it's the EQ, it's the curiosity. It's, it's the one, it's the person who can connect and has empathy and can really listen in. Like those things are very, 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 very valuable. And I think we can gloss over them and just, you know, as you know, when you're looking to hire, you can just look for the smartest person. Well, that, that smart person is great, but, but man, I, the more, if that person is really, if another person is really good in teams and they know um, how to work together to, to collaborate, to come up with better answers. Like I'm going to go in that direction. So I think it's, it, it all starts, both those questions to me start with, it starts with knowing who you are and who you want to be. And, and from there, special things can happen. Okay. Inner space versus outer space. So inner space are, 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 is the, is the things that, that we can control. And I think this is, you know, the time we're in right now is, it's really, really important to focus on what you can control, you know, and, and so inner space are the things that um, like that's, that's uh, trying to, trying to quantify success from an internal standpoint. Like I, I, you know, we're not always going to be able to dictate our win loss record. Uh, we're not going to dictate if we're going to be able to win a championship, but we can control things such as our attitude. Um, what kind of, what kind of teammate we are. Um, you know, we can, we can put 
an actual value on some of those things that are internal that we can control every day. The outer space are all those things that, that pop up that we have no control over. So right now, this virus is one of those. Like we, we can't control. We don't, when are we going to start back to work? When is life going to get back to normal? We can't. We can't, do any, we can't really affect that uh, directly right now. But what we can do is put our nose down, um, work hard, connect, connect with our family. Um, I know like just like many people right now, I'm trying to pick up a new skill or two along the way. Just try to be better and improve. And that's something I can control. I can't control um, you know, when the governor allows us to go back to work full time. Now, you talked about the importance of a personal philosophy in your book. What, mm-hmm. what are some recommended steps you would have for people to follow to help develop that personal philosophy? Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's a couple things. I mean, I, um, one, I mentioned earlier, for me, it's writing. And I would recommend that for anybody, writing, journaling, um, you know, asking yourself that question of like, who, who, who do I want to become? You know, who, who am I? You can start with who am I, but then who do I want to become? But writing, have, having the courage to put pen to paper and write is one of the most powerful things you can do. Um, I think another way is just spend some time in reflection, thoughtfulness, however, you know, prayer for some people, meditation for others, but just spending some time in thought. And then lastly, I would say being around um, really smart, sharp people. Um, and by smart, I don't always necessarily mean, you know, just uh, like brilliant. I mean, just people who seem wise, wise people, maybe the better phrase and having good, deep conversations with wise people um, can be, can be a, a great place to learn um, about a little bit more about who you want to become. And then I would say last, I would say reading, but I think the, of, of those things, I would say writing. And then I would say the deep conversations. If you can get, if you can surround yourself with people who are, who are wise, I think you're going to find out a lot about yourself. Great. How important is knowing what your why is? I think it's, you know, I think it's very, very uh, powerful. You know, Simon Sinek uh, was the one who brought that to, to, to the light for a lot of people, the power of why. Um, he's, his book is called, I, think, I believe it's, it's, it starts with why. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I, I just, I think having an understanding of, of, of why you do what you do is going to be really, really important uh, because uh, I, I don't care what path you're on if you dare greatly, if you have the courage to, to shoot for, to do something different or something hard, there will be obstacles and challenges along the way. They're just inevitable. Like you can try to avoid those, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, those, those things are going to be there. And in, in those moments, you're going to need something deeper than just like, Hey, I love to play baseball or whatever. It has to be something more to pull you through those, those really tough times. And I think that the, the the bolder you are, the, the, the bigger you dare, um, the greater those obstacles are and, and the greater that why um, is going to need to be to help pull you through those times. Something I really liked that, that you talked about is you said you're not going to promise your players a good experience or a bad experience. You're going to promise them an experience. For people in leadership positions – what does that mean? Well, I think there's, um, there's a push right now uh, to give kids a good experience. You know, we want them just to have a good experience. We don't care. And a lot of well-meaning people will say this. They'll say, we really don't care if you win or lose. Like, we, we want them to have a good experience. But to me, that is such a loose phrase. Like, because some, some of the great ex- greatest experience of your life um, probably were really, really bad when you were going through them. Like some, some of the things that, you know, some, maybe the worst, some of the worst times that you've ever had, if, when you look back in time, you go, my goodness, thankfully that happened to me because it led me to this, this, or this. I have a great friend who was cut from the baseball team and was devastated, but he flipped it. He flipped it uh, around. He got his grades up. He went to medical school. He's now a a heart doctor and he's thriving and that horrible experience of being cut. Um, you know, th- th- at the time that wasn't a good experience, 
but it led him to something really special. So to me, the, I, I don't want to define what that experience is. I mean, we've had kids that come in right away and they play first the first day of their freshman season. They go on and have a great career. And I don't want to say that's a good experience either. That's, that's, that's his experience. But um, I, I think, you know, lessons are going to come our way. Like things happen in our life and then we have a choice to define um, how we learn and process and grow from those events. And so I think when you make it a goal to have a good experience, I just don't know. And and my last thing I would say there is that no two people are alike in that regard. I mean, um, you know, you may come, you may, for you, it may be that, you know, you want a coach, you always pat you on the back. But another family may say, hey, no, I, I didn't, that, that's not what he needed. Like he needed someone who's going to get on him and stay on him and push him to a higher level. So I just don't want to be caught up in trying to create a good experience. I want to try to create an experience that's genuine, that's, um, that we're going to do with a ton of passion, that, that we're going to go for a common goal. And then they'll learn a lot of lessons along that way, even if they never play an inning or even if we don't win a championship, they're going to learn a lot um, for the good or the bad. Um, I think that's probably the best way I can describe it. Coach, what did you mean by the concept giant timber bamboo? Yeah, the, the uh, I think the guy's name is, is Greg Bell. He's, he had this philosophy called um, you know, water the bamboo and, and, a bamboo tree is, is one of growing a bamboo tree is one of the, the most um, takes the most persistent um, lines of work that you could possibly have. You have to just go out every day and just, you plant the seeds, you water the seeds, you take care of the seeds and you get really no results for a long, long time. And then eventually I think he said like it's three or four years later, you water the bamboo and it grows like 12 feet in or six feet in, in, in 12 weeks or something. So it grows like boom, it goes up right away. And so I think it's, it's a, it's a great analogy for, uh, for a lot of us who, um, you know, are, are working hard behind the scenes, maybe not getting the results that if you can just stick with the process, do the right things over and over again, um, eventually you get rewarded. I think about it for myself with a newsletter and by no means have I, have I made it, but I, you know, I, I started writing that thing over five years ago and I think just now maybe there's starting to be a little bit of momentum and buzz around it, but um, that's, that's hit and send on a lot of newsletters for a lot of years um, and not knowing if anyone's reading or if anyone's paying attention. Um, but I think if you do, do things over and over, do it the right way, uh, just like a bamboo tree, um, you'll grow and you'll be noticed. Great. How does someone take a mental toughness challenge? Yeah, uh, it's that's a good question. I mean, mental toughness is is uh, you know I think it's it's the it's kind of what the idea that we were talking about earlier. I think it's a it's a missing it's an intangible, um, and so there's many ways many things you can do on a mental toughness challenge. But one I, I I've been telling our current players right now is like go do something hard. Go do something that's um, like whatever whatever seems like something you don't want to do right now, maybe that's something you should be really doing, you know? So we had a couple of guys say, ah, it's been awfully cold. I'm like, no, it's, it's probably your time to go out and run a hill then. Like probably if, if, if your body's saying, Hey, stay in bed and stay comfortable, um, go out and do something tough. And to me, it's as simple as that. That's, that's a, that's a mental toughness challenge there. And it's a mental toughness hurdle that you can, you can overcome. So um, yeah, it's just, it's just doing something outside of your comfort zone, uh, we all know you really can't you can't grow in comfort, so you you have to get out of your comfort zone in order to grow. What did you mean by dominate your current role in terms of where you're trying to get to in your journey? Yeah, I think um, you know there's so many times we want um, we we say things like if I had this other job, um, I'd work harder. Like so if I you know, for me, I'm a division three head coach. Well, if I was a division one head coach, um, I would put more hours in, I'd work harder. I, you know, I would do these things instead of just being focused on being the best you can possibly be where you currently are. And, you know, the analogy I, I give is that I, one, of, one of the jobs I had was filling water bottles. Um, when I, I was an assistant cross country coach and I filled the water bottles for the runners and, um, by doing that and by being diligent with it, I end up getting some more responsibilities within that program. But we think that I think that a lot of people miss opportunities, especially I'll, I'll get feedback from our 
recent graduates and they'll say, you know, I, I got this job, but I'm, I'm just getting coffee for the, for the boss or, um, you know, they had me doing these projects that aren't that important. Well, those low burn jobs are actually a really good opportunity to stand out sometimes. I mean, if, if you're really good at bringing that coffee in and you do it with a smile and you're on time and those low burn jobs, you, you dominate, eventually you get more and more and more. And then the baseball part of that, we always say like, until you're not going to get a bigger role within our program until, until you dominate the one you're currently in. So if that job right now is to be a relief pitcher, maybe throw an inning um, when there's a spread, when we're up five or down five. But if you go in there and you do really well in that role over and over and over again, then you'll get a bigger role, but you can't go in there and do poorly in that role and then expect to be the closer or a starter. It doesn't work that way. So, um, Take whatever role you're in right now, dominate, um, show that you can do it, and then from there you'll grow. For this next one, I really I like that the tips that you had for it because it's something we all struggle with, either to be engaged with or lead with great intention, enhancing your meetings. Yeah. What were some tips you had for that? Well, I, you know, I, I think we all have, like, like I said, there's even books written about a death by meeting and we all, and actually we'll see how this, how this, um, the situation right now starts, we start looking at meetings a little bit differently too. But w when you have a meeting, um, you are, you are asking time of those you lead, you know, for me, it's the players, or if you're, uh, you know, in business, you're, you're asking of your employees, so we owe them, we owe them our full attention and to make that meeting as engaging and as important and as, as relevant as we possibly can. So I, I always say like for our baseball meetings, um, I'm, I used to be embarrassed to tell people this, but no, no longer, but I, I'd always go practice. I would go, I would go to a room um, down a hallway and I would practice the meeting. I mean, I would, you know, I, it's like a performance. I mean, you, you know where you want people to sit, you know what the critical components, the critical messages that you want to get out. You have an understanding of how you want to deliver that message. But if you think about um, that meeting as, I don't know, a, a performance is a good way to think of it. I mean, if you're, you're there to try to, um, you know, be, a, to do, do as best of a, a job as you possibly can that half hour, hour, that's a whole different approach than, okay, like now I'm the leader. I just show up to this meeting and I just start rattling off my agenda. That's um, not going to go very, very well. But I, to, like meetings to us, the classroom sessions, that's where, where I am at my best as a coach. Um, meaning so more that we will do a classroom session, then we'll move to the field. And so I want to make sure those meetings are spot on. But I would encourage anyone in any leadership role to invest, you know, double amount of the time in preparation for your meeting than the actual meeting itself. Be almost obsessive about what that thing is going to look like. Great. Perhaps my favorite part of the book was your tips and thoughts on overcoming a slump because you're in a game, you're involved in a game of failure mm -hmm. in so many ways and trying to minimize those slumps is a, is a critical thing, but everyone has slumps and everyone sure. battles through those. What, what were some of the tips that you had talked about? Yeah. I mean, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're down, you know, I think there's, there's a, there's a lot of different things. I think, most coaches, um, we want to go to the, to the mechanics and trying to, you know, what's, what's wrong with their swing or what's wrong with their pitching performance. And the same thing holds true. Um, we're, you know, in, in other lines, areas of work, you're all, almost trying to stay on the surface, but usually it's something much deeper, something usually on the mental side of things. So I think that, I think the, you know, we talked about it earlier, but a lot of us is just having the awareness to understand that, like that this isn't, just because I'm in a slump, I'm not hitting, let's say, that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. Um, you know, it's, it's having um, the self-awareness to go, okay, I'm okay. Even, even though despite that I'm not playing well as a baseball player, my self-worth is intact still. I'm still a, a good human being. And I think sometimes like when I – and I even do this with my own kids, so I'm not judging parents, but I see how parents will, will um, react to their child um, not – not performing well. It's almost like a punishment, right? It's almost, and like I said, I do this with my own son. So I'm now I'm kind of, I'm kind of thinking about myself here as I'm saying this, 
But when they go 0 for 4 in a game, let's say, or they go 0 for their last 12, um, are you treating them different as a person? Like, are you treating that person – are they now a bad person because they're 0 for 12? Um, that's how a slump gets worse, right? That's when you, you start attaching um, – like, you're, you're, you start attaching a lot more to it than just – the performance. So uh, I think the ability to, to one, you, you, to get out of a slump, you have to put the time and you have to put the energy in and whatever that may be. That doesn't mean you have to, um, you know, go out there and hit for four hours. That's not, that's not the case. We're going to, have to, going to have to pay attention. You have to smile and try to enjoy it and try to understand that eventually you're going to come out of the thing on the other side, just like we're doing right now with this virus. Like it's not good. Like things are not good right now, but I have to have the optimism, the courage to look forward and say, in the future, this is going to be better, um, but I've got to work kind of while I wait to make that happen. So slumps are tricky. They're very tricky, uh, but the biggest thing is understanding that as a human being, my self-worth is still intact. I'm not a bad person. I'm just not – I'm not shooting the basketball well right now or whatever it may be. A lesson in grace. How can that help people move forward? Um. You know, I, I just I just think our world's starving for um, just kindness and empathy. And, um, you know, the, the, the story in the book there is about Dabo Sweeney. Um, now, Dabo, you know, uh, you know he's, he's someone I, I study quite a bit. I, I like to study a lot of coaches, so it's not really like a personal thing. I don't know Dabo. But that was a story when his Clemson Tigers got beat by the Syracuse um, Orangemen, and it was a big upset. And Dabo, um, you know, he gave their coach a big hug and said, I'm so happy for you. I'm so proud of you. And he went to their locker room and he told the Syracuse team how great of a job they did. And it really hit me. A lot of people thought that may be a little bit phony, but I didn't. Uh, I, I think it's okay. You know, I think it's okay to to go congratulate and recognize that that's a big moment. That was a big moment for, for Syracuse, their program, and to acknowledge it. All the while knowing that, you know, at, at that major level college football, uh, the, the donors were upset, the players were upset, the fans were upset. But for him to pause and just acknowledge that someone else did something great um, is really special. And I think the cool part of that story was they end up going on to the college playoffs anyways and they end up getting back into it and having a great season. But I think just just a, le- just a lesson that, you know, of humility and, and, and being able to uh, recognize when somebody else is having a big moment and just, um, yeah, having that grace, having that kindness, I think it's, it's much needed in our world in general. That's great. I really like this next one because it, it speaks to my, my terminology is a legacy. Uh, you, you, you called it standing on, shoulder, standing on shoulders. Can you talk about what that means in a program like yours? Well, we, um, you, know, you know, part of that, you know, recruiting discussion is that, you know, there's, there's a difference between teams and programs and, and in, in a team aspect, you get so caught up in that given year, you get up, you get caught up in your stats, that team's record. Um, it's just, it's very, very me centered. It's very on me. A program is much bigger. A program is never ending. And, um, you know, when you play in a program, um, you know, we had, you know, our first couple years there, we had some decent teams, but we never got to a national tournament, but we were getting better and better and better. And all those teams allowed our present roster in the years prior to this, we were able to stay on their shoulders and see a little bit further ahead. Like we knew what it looked like then to play in the conference tournament. Then we got to, then we got to a regional the one year and we're able to see, okay, this is what a regional looks like. And the next year we're able to advance a little bit further in the regional. And now we're in a position because of those other teams, you know, when you, when you end up winning a, a, a championship, it's not just that present team's uh, efforts. It's all those years behind them, but it's, it's, uh, it's the idea that, you know, you're just, you're attached to something bigger than yourself. And I think the more you can realize that, that this isn't just about you, it's about something much larger. And there's so many people that are involved in this process. Um, yeah, it just makes the experience much, much, much more special. Something that it's it spoke to me because of the story you shared, and 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 I think it's it's vitally important that we do this as parents, as leaders, and we obviously appreciate when we get it from others. Speaking greatness into others, how important mm-hmm. is that? You know, I think it's everything. Um, 
I think we can all kind of think moments in our life where someone spoke greatness. And I think the, the, the big difference is, um, you know, there's, there, there's praise, right? There's just, there's, and then there's the ability to, to speak greatness, you know, or affirmations would be the other side of that, but praise. And, and we have an abundance of praise. Like we have, if you go to watch a little of the game, you hear a lot of, Hey, where to go, where to go, where to throw it, where to throw it, where to go, where to get on base. Um, things will show that that's not very effective in building confidence, but speaking greatness, how I phrase it or affirmations do like, so, you know, I, I share the story about, you know, my dad would say to me like, Hey, he's like, you don't, you don't really, you don't need drugs and alcohol. You don't, he's like, other people do. Cause that's how they have, that's how they have to stand out. But like you stand out in so many other ways. Like you don't need that. That was speaking greatness. That's, 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 that's telling me that that's, you know, giving me the courage then, um, when I'm in situations like, Hey, you know, he's, he's already told me that, that I'm, that I'm pretty special, you know? Um, you know, so there's, there's all those examples. I, I, the example I use for, for me academically was I, I was, uh, you know, a typical, uh, I wouldn't say a jock, but I didn't, I didn't really thrive in the classroom. I did okay, but not great. And I had a teacher tell me, she's like, you know, it was a, a speech one-on-one class. And she said, you have the, you have the makings of a CEO. You have a presence, she had, you have the presence of a CEO. She wrote it on a, on my, my evaluation. And that, that, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that, you know, uh, a watchmaker's son was like hearing that he could be a CEO. Like that was, that was a cool, cool story for me. So, um, you know, some of those moments were organic, but I think as, as leaders, if we can be calculated in our words and not just throw praise, not, Hey, good job. You did good. That's not, that's not it. Can you find ways to articulate and provide some affirmations that can, that can lead to that person having confidence, transferring it from you to them is the key. Uh, And I think that's what we're all trying to do is be really thoughtful with our language. Awesome. Uh, Last one I wrote down, you had some great tips on how to build strong young people. Yeah. Yeah. What what were some of those? Well, I mean, I, you know, there's, there's so there's, there's a list there, but I think one is just that, that zest that, you know, if you can, if you can find like, like I always say, there's, there's something about that that player and, and the guys that I've worked with that they come into every meeting and they just have they, they come in there with positive energy, a smile on their face. There, there's just this um, there's this some there's air aura about them that's really special. So I think zest, I think uh, resilience, resiliency training, I think is really, really important. To, you know, we, we need to build young people who who can overcome obstacles and and understand and have the tools, right? Provide the tools. Um, of, of overcoming those obstacles, um, you know, the continuous learner. There's so many, but I think it, it really is to me, those are kind of our, you know, my values or my, my wife and I's values. But I think when you, when you can start getting intentional about, you know, when you look at your, your children and say, okay, you know, what do we hope they become? You know, we hope they become this, 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 and this. Well, then how can you kind of reverse engineer that and say, how can we create opportunities for them to be more kind, for them to be more resilient, for them to be a continual learner? Like, how do we shape that? How do we, how do we, I think those are, those are great questions to ask. And by all means, you know, we don't have this figured out. Um, I think just my interactions over the years with, with collegiate athletes and 18 to 22 year olds, like you start seeing, you start seeing qualities in those kids that you hope that your children end up possessing. And so um, that's where that stemmed from. It was a phenomenal book that I read. Um, the, and, the, and the author right now escape, escapes me, but it really had me thinking about just all those, those character education um, that I think is so important for, for our kids to, to encounter it in their lives. That's awesome. God willing, I hope, I hope we have a baseball season for my sons. Uh, I was scheduled to be my oldest son's baseball coach first year in the first year in the player pitch. Oh but yeah. What, what are some, what are some of the areas of the game that you would recommend a coach in my position focus on? Well, I, I think um, I almost feel like any, any youth coach's job is to just, can you instill the love of the game? in them um i think that's like that's if if i could say in a nutshell like that would be it not that doesn't mean you're going to be successful with everyone not every kid's going to love the game but can you create an experience can you create an experience that that leads to joy 
that leads to happiness. That, and, and like I, I've said earlier, like that, that competition isn't a bad thing. So I think you want them to compete. You want them to embrace that, but you create that experience. Um, I, I would say just paying attention to all those little things of the game, like just the beauty of baseball, you know, uh, you, you probably won't be getting leads yet, but how do you get a secondary lead? How do you slide? How do you, you know, when, when your teammate scores, do you go over there and give them a high five and what's that look like? And running on and off the field, like those are age-appropriate things for that level. Um, you know, how you how you hit, how you pitch, and all those things. I mean, that, that, those are tough. And, and, and every kid's going to be a little bit different there. Like there's just different learning curves. So I don't think that's really like the, the job of a youth coach, but can you create that environment that gets the kids curious to learn more about the game? Um, and like I said, that's not going to be for everyone. I don't know if my son has it. I don't know. I don't know if my son has the love for the game in that, in that regard, but that's okay. But for those ones who do, can you keep feeding can you keep feeding that that uh, that animal uh, of of the love of game of baseball and 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 what it can do for you? So um, I would just recommend don't get too caught up in the in the in the the technicalness of it, the the teaching of mechanics. Just just go. Can you make our game beautiful? Keep our game beautiful, and just be a steward of of the great game of baseball. I I know uh, the expected challenge is getting pitchers to throw strikes. Because I mean, they're sure. they're just learning how to get on the mound. Is there anything you would recommend technique wise that that you focus on, whether it's stance or approach, anything I, in the delivery? I don't. I don't. I wish I could sit here and tell you that I had the magic pill there. I, I don't. I mean, I, you know, I think you want to just try to keep it at that age as simple as possible. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't wor- have them worry so much about the outcome. Um, just my little experience. Um, I think probably less is more if I could give you any advice just from what I've seen at youth fields. Like there's, there's going to be, you're going to have the coach chirping, Hey, hit the glove. Then you're gonna have the dad saying like, throw hard as you can. You're going to have all these different, and the poor kids on the mound just going like, what do you (laughs) want me to do? So I would say less is more, you know, uh, aim small, miss small, just try to, you know, show the target, try to throw the ball as, as aggressively as you can to, to that spot and just, and just let it rip. You know, just like the book says, but I, I, I wish, like I said, I wish I'd give you something like this, this great nugget, but I would honestly say from what I've seen, less is more talk less, just let them have some fun out there. Let them work through it. Um, our bodies are amazing. It'll, they'll organize themselves in the way that they need to. Sometimes we adults and we coaches get in the way because we feel like we have to say something every pitch and we feel like we have to give a pointer. And what, if you end up just sitting back and listening sometimes at a youth game, like just sit there and go, Oh my gosh, if I was that kid and all these people were watching me at work type, I wouldn't even be able to type because everyone's screaming at me. So just pause, listen, you know, keep small, really uh, quick um, directions, hit the glove, you know, just the basic stuff, but just try to have fun with it. Sounds good. Coach, how, if people want to learn more about your program, your book, I, I, I saw on your website, which you, you can certainly give, uh, that you do some speaking engagements. Yeah. On, yeah. On the um, side. Yeah. There's, there's a, you know, uh, it's uh, coach coachdegan.com is my web, website coachdegan.com there's a link to the book on there um also some of my my articles are housed on there as well i sent out a newsletter you can follow me on coach it's coach degan on twitter um i post a, a monday morning article most monday mornings um there's an article that goes out there's one out today um and then for our baseball program it's, it's deganm at denison.edu you can just look us up on the website um on the Denison website too and get a hold of me, but um, yeah, reach out. Um, I love to connect. This is a, this is a situation where I've been by putting stuff out there. Like I said earlier, I've learned a lot from people. So connecting is really important to me. So get the book, email me, do whatever, and hopefully we can continue a relationship. That's great. Uh, One last question I had for you. Uh, Youth baseball camps. If, if, if they do happen this summer, what, what can parents expect their kids to get out of your youth baseball camps? Our, our youth baseball camp is for us is, is very much what I kind of talked about this whole time. I mean, we're going to, we're going to talk about the fundamentals of the game and we, we pride ourselves on having a great staff, a lot of, a lot of 
great high school coaches, uh, college players, um, our staff's there. Our staff is, will all be there. It's really important to us to have that. So they'll all be there. But I think more than that for us is the, it's the character education piece. I mean, we will go into to some resiliency training that we talk about. We'll go into a gratitude phase, like where we really want to want them to focus on gratitude. Um, and then our our theme of continuous improvements. So we really try to drive home a lot of the character education piece in addition to the baseball skills. But um, just like the advice I gave you with with your team, we want them to leave there just enjoying baseball, like enjoying the game. Um, if we do that, we feel like we've had some success. That's great. I, Coach, I really appreciate the time you gave me today. You, you gave me more than I, we even talked about, so I appreciate that. Thank you for having me on, and, and good luck, and keep that family safe. Yeah, you too. And I'll, Thank you. I'll, I'll send you all the, the links as soon as I get them published, probably in awesome. the next day or two. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure. Really appreciate it. Have a you good too. day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>